A group that represents almost 50,000 postal managers and supervisors is taking the Postal Service to court. The National Association of Postal Supervisors says they've tried informal negotiations and mediation, but still can't get USPS to budge from what they say are violations of the 1970 Postal Reorganization Act. That law requires managers to be paid salaries that are comparable to similar positions in the private sector. Brian Wagner is the national president of NAPS. He tells me USPS isn't coming close to pay comparability. In fact, he says it's all too common for managers to be paid less than the people they're supervising. Probably the biggest thing, it really started with Title 39 back in the 1970s, the Postal Reorganization Act, where there was to be a differential in the pay that a supervisor receives over the people they supervise. And NAPS went to court in 1974 and got a ruling that it should be like 25% from a Judge Green. Post office appealed and won on appeal that the court can't tell the post office what's fair and reasonable on the percentage. So the post office picked 5%. And then they based it off of the most populated clerk position in the post office, which was a mid-range clerk. The problem we have is that many of our supervisors and managers are supervising clerks and carriers who have made higher wages on levels in the clerk and carrier craft. So technically they make more money than when you throw in the overtime, which supervisors don't get, the supervisors are making less money than the people they supervise. And we were just asking for what we call a more fair and equitable differential. Because what we're seeing is that craft employees do not want to step up We can't attract and retain people to step up to be supervisors because basically they'll take a pay cut by being a supervisor or a manager. Another issue you didn't mention is there's actually no locality pay. I think that's true for all USPS employees, but at least for for supervisors and managers, which means if you're in a high cost of living area, you're hurting even worse. That's correct. One of the biggest things is this Title 39 talks about pay that's comparable to the private sector. And part of the private sector is in New York, San Francisco. Washington, D.C. So the same supervisor in where I'm from in Illinois is going to make the same amount of money as a supervisor in New York. So we do not get locality pay. We also do not get cost of living where the unions do. So our supervisors and managers, our NAPS members, don't get locality pay or cost of living. It's only contingent on this pay for performance system the post office have put in place. And even that is subject is been dealt seriously flawed by the fact finding panel that we sought for a review on this. Yeah, let's talk about that panel because the law that you mentioned explicitly does allow for the Federal uh, Mediation and Conciliation Service to review the Postal Service's pay plan on your request. What what did they end up determining and, and how did USPS respond to that fact-finding panel? Well, the panel viewed, after all the documentation, that the pay-for-performance system currently designed by the post office is seriously flawed. The pay-for-performance system isn't recognizing people's work and it's more of a group thing. I can tell you that the pay compensation specialist for the postal service said the average pay increase for the private sector is 3%. And FY17, the average pay increase for an EAS, a NAPS member, was 1.9%. And in FY18, it was 0.85%, was less than a percent on average. Because we had supervisors and managers NAPS members not receive a pay raise. Almost 20,000 people of our members did not receive a pay raise. So that's probably the biggest problem that the system for pay for performance has 31 metrics. It has weighted factors. It talks about a corporate and unit score 
And depending on what job you're in, it's weighted. And many of our members have no control of the goals that they've been given. So it's very challenging to think that you're going to get a pay raise. You work all year, you know, many supervisors, six, seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. And at the end of the year, they realize they get no pay raise. And and the statute requires, as I understand it, comparability between your members and, you know, roughly equivalent positions in the private sector. So so as part of this, just that you and the Postal Service have different opinions about which which positions map correctly in the private sector onto yours? Correct. Uh, one of the things the post office brought up were supervisory positions and what they call non-union type positions, uh, like a supervisor of a warehouse. Well, our supervisors can manage up to 50 people and they have an operation of, you know, almost a 24 hour operation. So Title 39 states that our pay is to be comparable to the private sector and the post office is to actually do a pay analysis, a pay study, and they did not do that. It's also supposed to have that reasonable differential in pay for the supervisors, which we don't believe there is. And the pay system is also attract and retain qualified EAS supervisors. And it's not doing. They are hiring people. They're attracting. But you're people from the, it's people from the outside who've never carried mail, never worked in the post office. And we're showing like a third of them are leaving after a couple of years because they, they're not qualified. And it's not generating what they call a well-motivated workforce. The post office does what they call a postal pulse survey. They survey the employees through Gallup. Now, through Gallup, a third party says that the post office is in the one percentile, the worst of the worst. So and then, then that's a that's measure of employee engagement, I think, right? If I'm, if I'm that's reading right employee engagement, correct. They say uh, more engaged employees are perform better. They are safer. You know, the absenteeism is gone. And here's the problem. The motivation is not there. The engagement is missing. And the post office is in the one percentile, the lowest of the low. And we recognize that if engagement improves through pay, through workplace environment, productivity increases, also the post office becomes you know more efficient. Let me get back to your earlier point about craft employees not wanting to become supervisors because they would be taking a pay cut. What, what kind of data do we have about how many vacancies there are uh, in the managerial ranks because of, of that phenomenon? Right now, I would say we're in between like four to 5,000. I think the post office is trying to get down to a 4% vacancy rate. All right. We were up at as high as 10 to 12%. And what they did was expedite the, I guess, placement of supervisors, you know, promoting and they were going outside the post office. And what we were seeing is those carriers and clerks, mostly, who have maybe 10, 15, 20 years experience in, in, the, in the craft, do not want to step up to be a supervisor or a manager. You're seeing somebody who's only been in the post office a year, two years, and they were a non-career employee because the post office doesn't have career, and they get converted to a career, then they jump into management or they apply from what they call outside. They're a non-career employee. They go into supervision right away. So they don't have the experience necessary of a well-motivated or well-trained uh, workforce. But they see a promotion in there, but you don't have what we call the quality people stepping up with the experience. And that's one of the issues our members see that no one's stepping up. We hear from craft employees. They're not going to take the job because, one, the responsibility and the pay isn't worth it. What I call the juice isn't worth the squeeze. The wor- What they're going to get isn't worth all the effort. All right, Brian. So now that you've kind of laid out the bill of particulars for us, let me let me ask the obvious question. Uh, what, what precisely sure. are you asking the court to do here? Well, 
one of the biggest things we're trying to ask the court to do is really, we talked about doing a work group. And the fact-finding panel recommended that we have a mediator and compensation expert participate. We're asking for that. The post office doesn't believe we need a mediator or a compensation expert, but the system isn't working. We've asked for that. We've asked that the EAS have a pay compensation comparable to the private sector, and that we look at this pay going back to FY16, fiscal year 16, because we're in a four-year pay system, FY16 through 19, but because of the way that law was written, we didn't get to our consultation until February, uh, fiscal year 18. So the post office only gave us one year of pay negotiations, cons consultation. So we're looking for the post office to comp total, have total compensation comparable to the private sector. And again, look for retroactive pay comparable to the private sector back to FY16. Look for a differential that's at least 15 to 20% of the private sector, because that's what the private sector is, 15 to 20% differential for the people you supervise. And two other things that we've looked at is NAPS represents EAS, managerial personnel. The post office is stating that NAPS doesn't represent what we call headquarters and area employees. We have what they call field, area, and headquarters. They're just titles. Mm -hmm. But we're all EAS within the Postal Service. So the post office is basically dividing, conquering, dividing out, says, NAPS, you don't get to represent these people in pay and benefits. The law doesn't differentiate that. We're asking for the courts to rule. We do represent headquarters and area employees. The other thing is, the law says, if an organization reaches a certain threshold of members of a particular job type, as in postmasters, if we reach 20% of postmasters as members, we reach the 20% threshold to be recognized as a postmasters organization too, and the post office has denied that, even though the law says you can request and be recognized, and the post office will not recognize NAPS for that. But all in all, I think you know we're willing to work with the post office to resolve this, but we have some fundamental issues with a, pay, a flawed pay-for-performance system that's not working. It's seriously flawed. It's been recognized. It's not a true pay-for-performance system, what I consider in the private sector, where companies put away X amount of dollars on an annual or percentages for pay increases on an annual basis. People receive, employees receive. If you perform better, well, if you meet goals, you get a pay-for-performance in addition, whether it's a lump sum, a bonus, or a further increase. That's a true pay for performance. The way the post office is set up, this pay for performance system is all or none. You can work all year long, 60, 70 hours a week, no overtime, no cost of living, no locality pay. And at the end of the day, they say, oh, you didn't get, you didn't make the goals that we set, so you don't get a pay raise. And it's really outside what the Title 39 was all set up for. We're going to continue to work with the post office, but we feel it's in the best interest of our members to continue this route uh, through the courts to get a resolve. That's Brian Wagner, the national president of the National Association of Postal Supervisors. We'll post links to more information about the lawsuit at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal drive. 
What makes Wayne State the college of choice? With over 130 programs of study, it's the smart choice with more opportunities to help define your future. It's the bold choice with high-quality hands-on learning that will transform you into a career-ready, in-demand graduate. And as the region's lowest-cost bachelor's degree, it's the affordable choice, including scholarship opportunities available to everyone. See why more students make Wayne State College their first choice. Get started at explorewaynestatecollege.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 